Good morning, Journey. We are in week number two of this sermon series on shepherding the church, but we're calling it Shepherd Montana. When Brian told me that that was going to be the name of the series, I kind of laughed because I did grow up in a little town outside of Billings called Shepherd Montana, but I told myself I'm not going to tell stories about my life growing up in Shepherd Montana, uh, mostly because I don't want you to know everything that I did. When I was growing up, I'm a pastor and you don't need to know everything. Uh, but I changed my mind today. I want to tell you a little bit uh, about my life in Shepherd. If you'd have known me, especially in like middle school, high school, uh, you would have known that my life was about basketball. That's what I did all the time. I was the kind of that stereotypical gym rat. Uh, my parents worked in Billings and they would leave early in the morning, but they would drop me off at the high school. And as soon as the janitor would open the doors, uh, I was in there in the morning. I would play basketball until it was time for school, take a shower and go to school. That was my life. Now you're going to, this is going to stretch your faith just a little bit. I was actually a decent basketball player. I know that's, that's stretching it. I wasn't always old. I wasn't always slow. I wasn't always bald. I do realize uh, now that the older I get, the better I was. But uh, I did have the opportunity to play on a really good basketball team. And kind of the way we played the game was really fast, up-tempo, a lot of offense, a lot of scoring. Uh, there was another team uh, not too far from us uh, in Lodgegrass over on the Crow Indian Reservation, and they played a very similar kind of basketball. So we would play these games, and there would just be tons of offense, tons of scoring. It wouldn't be unusual for us to be in the hundreds, uh, in the, not hundreds, but like over a hundred uh, for a game. Uh, that was kind of the way that we played, and people loved to come watch us play basketball. And if you are from Montana and you followed basketball and you're really old, like me, you might remember there was a guy that played for Lodgegrass back in the late 80s, and his name was Elvis Old Bull. Uh, I've got a picture of Elvis up there. Elvis was a legend in high school basketball. There were Sports Illustrated articles that were written about him. He was voted as one of the top 50 athletes ever uh, in the state of Montana. He was the stuff that legends were made of. In a state championship game one time, uh, his team, the Lodgegrass Indians, were down by nine points with 36 seconds left. Elvis himself scored nine points, took the game into overtime, and they ended up winning the game. I got to play against Elvis Old Bull when I was in high school. And tragically, uh, just a handful of years ago, Elvis was killed in a car accident, a rollover accident just outside of Billings. And so there were a lot of articles that were being written about him, kind of reminding people of kind of his legendary status in the game of basketball. One of the things that several of the of the sports writers talked about was this one basketball game that Elvis played in. And the reason that this game was noteworthy, it was a championship game, a divisional championship game in Billings. Um, then it was called the Billings Metro. Now I think it's called like the Rimrock Auto Arena or something like that. Big facility. But there were more than 10,000 people that came to watch a basketball game. At the time, they thought that was probably the most people that had ever watched a basketball game in the state of Montana. I got to play against Elvis Old Bull in that 
basketball game. And here's just a couple of young kids. I mean, we were, didn't even have 200 kids in our high school. There's a, a picture uh, before that game right there. I'm, I'm the one on the left, in case you were wondering, the skinny white legs there. And in case you guys know everything about Montana basketball, that actually is not Elvis Oldbull in the picture. That is his cousin, Emmett Oldbull, also a very formidable basketball player, but not the legendary status of Elvis. When I walked out, ran out, to play in that basketball game, you can't imagine what it was like to have that many people yelling and screaming and bands playing. The noise level in that game was astronomical. It's like you could hardly hear yourself think at different times. Here's one of the things I remember about that game. First of all, one thing that they never say about that game is they never say in their tribute to Elvis that Shepard beat them in that game. We beat them soundly. But one of the things that I remember even more than winning the game was that as loud as it got in that arena, I could always hear the voice of my coach. I mean, it was so loud, you couldn't even imagine. But somehow, my brain was able to pick up his voice over all the other mayhem in that place. I started to think about the number of hours that I spent in a gym with my coach, listening to him, coach, encourage, teach us the game. So when it got to this place where it was really, really loud, I was able to hear his voice above everything else. Jesus, our good shepherd, he talked about one of the most important things and one of the most defining things in his followers. As the good shepherd, he said, my sheep, this is how you're going to know who my sheep are. They're the ones that are able to hear my voice and follow me. They will be able to hear my voice above all of the noise and chaos in this world. They will hear my voice and they'll follow me. Here's what Jesus said in John chapter 10, starting in verse one. He said, very truly I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and hear this, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. As we're talking about shepherding, one of the most important things that we can do as we shepherd others is to help them learn to hear and respond to the voice of God. This assumes, on the case of the shepherd, that they actually can do that for themselves. But here's what is so challenging in our world, isn't it? There is so much noise out there. It was like playing in that basketball game. Things are so loud, 
So much white noise in this world. White noise, by definition, white noise is a sound that contains all of the frequencies. And because it contains all of the frequencies, it makes it really, really difficult to pick out any one frequency. This is why hearing the voice of God can be so challenging for us. There are so many frequencies that are trying to grab our attention in this world that we miss God's frequency for us, his voice. Sometimes the scripture calls it a still, small voice, gets lost in all of the other voices. And the reason is because sometimes, friends, our lives are too loud and our schedules are too busy. I'm I'm gonna go out on a limb. I don't know what is happening in every one of your lives, but I bet that is true on some level for everybody. Your schedule is too busy and your life is too loud. There's too much going on. You don't have the opportunity to slow the pace of your life and to create the space in your life to be able to hear God's frequency, to hear his voice. Friends, if we are gonna live transformed lives, if we're gonna shepherd one another to be sheep that actually follow the good shepherd, we've got to learn to do this. We've got to learn to hear and respond to God's voice. There's so many times, like as you sit up here or stand up here and you write a sermon, in your heart of hearts, you're always just saying, God, I want there to be something that they walk out of from this place that has the possibility that if they're willing to apply it, could change their life. Friends, I believe with everything in me, if what we talk about today If you take it seriously and say, I want to build that rhythm into my life of learning to hear and respond to the voice of God, it is going to be a game changer for you. It's going to be a game changer for your relationships and your family. And friends, it's going to be a game changer for our entire church. I want to show you a tool. Some of you have even seen this before, but I want you to have a visual picture in your mind. When you think about what does it look like for me to actually try to apply this principle of hearing and responding to the voice of God, to being that sheep that doesn't just hear the voice of Jesus, but is willing to follow it wherever he goes. There's going to be a scripture that is going to be our jump off point to what we're going to talk about today, beginning at the very beginning of the ministry of Jesus from Mark chapter one. Jesus is starting to talk about the kingdom of God And some of the first words out of his mouth as he starts to lay a foundation. This is what the kingdom of God is about. This is what you need to understand to build your faith on. Here's what Jesus said when he talked about the kingdom of God. Starting in verse 14 of chapter one, he says, after John, that's John the Baptist, was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. I want us to unpack that last verse a little bit. Jesus says, the time has come. The kingdom of God is near. So this is what you need to do. You need to repent and you need to believe. I before E except after C, is that right? Did we get it? I think that's right. 
Jesus talks about the time has come. Time. There's a couple of different words that the New Testament uses to describe the word time. One of those words is the Greek word chronos. It's where we get the word chronology. It's that idea of the sequential passing of time. Think about a wrist watch when you think about chronos. Time passing. That is not the word that Jesus uses here. He doesn't say chronos. When he says the time has come, he uses a different word. He uses the word kairos. Kairos is not the sequential passing of time. What kairos means is the right time, the opportune time, an opportunity, a breakthrough moment in time. And what Jesus was trying to say is what makes this a unique time is that there's the possibility that the kingdom of God will break in. The kingdom of God is near. It's right there. But if we can pay attention to these kairos moments, these opportunities where God wants to break in, it's a game changer for us. When I think about what this kairos moment is, sometimes I think about, let's just imagine that you're walking. This is your timeline of your life and you're walking along I'll put some hair on there you guys have hair but you're walking along and then all of a sudden you hit what I would call like a little speed bump in life something just happens that grabs your attention a little bit it's kind of one of those nudges maybe there's a sense that it's some kind of a, a prompting an impression a thought that comes to your mind that seems like it came out of nowhere, but you sense that there's something important about it. Maybe it's that sense of conviction where it's like suddenly in your heart, you know, I've done something wrong. I need to get right with people or with God, an emotion, a question, anything. A kairos can be anything. It can be positive or negative, but what is common of a kairos is that God is trying to get our attention. Have you ever had those moments when you're reading your scriptures and sometimes it just seems like you're just reading. And then every once in a while, you just kind of feel like the words kind of jump off the page. And you sense there is something going on here. Kairos moment. God is trying to get your attention. Sometimes people will tell me after a sermon that there's, there's places in a sermon where people say this kind of a phrase. I felt like you were talking directly to me. Kairos moment. God is trying to grab our attention. It can be a question that pops into our mind. We just start thinking about a friend that we hadn't been thinking about for a long, long time. Here's what I want you to understand. Kairos moments, they're varying in how they come, but they're happening all the time. God is a God who wants to speak to you. He wants to get your attention. He wants to be your shepherd. He wants you to be the sheep that know his voice and follow him in obedience. And it's when we recognize these kairos moments that the kingdom of God can break into our life, God's power into our life, God's presence into our life, God's kingdom into our life, his rule and reign over our life. Jesus is saying, the time has come, the opportunity has come. But here's what Jesus said. Just because you recognize a Kairos moment doesn't mean absolutely that your life is gonna change just because you recognize it. He said there's two things that you need to do 
to engage a Kairos moment. And I want you to think about it like this. He says, there's two things that you need to do. The first one, he says, you need to repent. And secondly, he says, you need to believe. When you're walking along in life, God grabs your attention. Don't just keep walking on Kronos time. Grab a hold of Kairos time and engage. Enter into what we call the learning circle. Let God teach and grow us in our faith. And God says the first thing that you need to do is repent. Now, so many times I think when people hear that word repent, they think of a preacher like me standing on a stage saying, stop sinning. Every one of you, stop sinning. Repent. That is a way that that word can be used, but it's not the most simple definition of what Jesus was talking about. Repent simply means to change your mind. Change your way of thinking. It means if we're gonna repent, it means we're gonna change our way of thinking to the way God is thinking. So you need to understand it is an inner, an inner change in us, a change of mind. And if we want our mind to think the way that God thinks, there's, two, there's one question that you need to ask, and the question is this. God, what are you saying to me? God, if I recognize this Kairos moment, and I just say, God, I want my thinking to be like your thinking, the question that we ask is, God, what is it that you are saying to me? Here's what this requires. You can't do this on the run in life. You've got to be able to slow down. You've got to create a pace in your life and you've got to create space in your life where you can hold up your hands to God. You can hold up your life to God. And like Eli taught Samuel to just say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. God, what is it that you are saying to me? God, what is it that you want me to hear? We want to hear his voice. But here's what Jesus makes clear. Just knowing what God wants to say to you, what Jesus wants to say to you, what the good shepherd wants to say, doesn't mean automatically that our lives are gonna be transformed. Jesus said, you've gotta keep going around the circle and you've gotta engage it in another way as well. You've got to believe. Another way to say that is you've got to have faith. Now, so many times when we think about that word faith, we think of it as some kind of an intellectual thing. I just need to believe the right things. When the Bible talks about faith, it's not talking about just an intellectual understanding of something. Faith means action. Faith means I'm going to do something. Jesus's brother, James, when he wrote his book called the book of James, one of the main themes of that book is faith without deeds or faith without action is dead. It's not really faith at all. So the question that we're asking when we come to this belief side is we're asking the question, God, what is it that you want me to do? God, what is it that you're saying to me? But also, God, what is it that you want me to do? And here's where the outer change happens. 
Because we change our behavior. We change our direction. We change what it is that we're doing. God, what is it that you want me to do? This is how we grow. We recognize a Kairos moment. We repent. We ask God, what are you thinking? Tell me, God, what you're saying. And we respond with belief where we say, God, what is it that you want me to do? And here's what happens, friends. We get sent off in a different direction in our life. Our life is changed. This change here is the promise of transformation. We're going to be made new. We're going to be made into the image of Jesus Christ, God's own son. What are you saying to me? God, what is it that, how do I, how am I going to hear your voice? What is it that you want me to do? So over here, when we hear this, we've got to stop and reflect. But over here, on the do side, we've got to come up with a plan. Like God, in light of what it is, that it seems like you're saying to me right now, what is my next step? Maybe you're not going to know everything that God wants you to do in and around this area or whatever it is that he's speaking to you about. But we ask at least, God, what is the next step? How do I at least take one step toward obedience with you? This is how our lives are changed. This is how we allow the good shepherd to be our shepherd, to be those sheep defined by hearing his voice and following him. If we're gonna be shepherds of people, that's what we need to do, not only for ourselves, but primarily that's what we need to do to help other people grow, teach people how to hear and respond to the voice of God. We're constantly asking, God, will you give me clarity? Will you help me know what it is that you're saying? And when you give me clarity, God, would you also give me courage? When we've got clarity, when we know what it is, but we sense that it is that God wants us to do, it gives us courage to follow through. And let me say this. God is going to ask you to do things that require more courage than you have. You can't wonder what it is that he might be saying. God, help me. Make it clear because I need your courage to follow through and do the things that you're asking me to do. If I were to draw a picture for you of what our life looks like, I would say it looks like this. It looks like a slinky. This is what you do in your life. You have a kairos moment. You engage it with God. You repent and believe. You hear and respond. And your life is changed and you keep moving. Some kairos moments, sometimes around this learning circle, it can be quick. What God is saying, what he's asking us to do is so quick and we can respond right away. Sometimes getting around that circle can take years. God, continue to show me. This is what our life looks like of transformation. It looks like a slinky. Kronos time, that's measured in minutes. Kairos time, that's measured in moments. Friends, sometimes defining moments. We don't want to miss one kairos in our life, one nudge, one prompting. God, anything that you want to say to me. I want to hear it and I want to respond. I want to hold my hands up. I want to drop to my knees and say, God, my life belongs to you. Show me.
I want to hear and I want to respond. Now let me back up for a second. I want us to start to think about how is it that we learn to discern what it is that God is saying and what it is that he wants us to do. There's three ingredients that have to be true in our life. Things that have to be a part of our life. I know you think that I can't teach anything or can't shepherd people without geometry. That's just kind of how I work. You need the word. You need the Holy Spirit. And you need a community of believers to walk alongside you. We need all of those things if we're going to learn to discern what it is that God's saying to us and what it is that he wants us to do. Friends, as we think about what God is saying, there's no substitute for the scriptures. Scriptures stand alone in terms of how it is that God wants to speak to you. It's in a category all by itself. Scripture tells us about itself. All scripture is God-breathed. It is the exhaling of God. It is the voice of God. It is the whisper of God, sometimes called the still, small voice. And I'm just gonna say it as directly as I can. If you are not reading the scriptures, you are not hearing the voice of God. This is bedrock This is foundation. God will never say anything that runs counter to the things that he has already said. Scripture stands alone. But I would also say this. Some people will say scripture is the only way that God can speak to us. I don't believe that that's true. And the reason that I don't believe it's true is because I have a very high view of scripture And when I read the scripture itself, it describes how it is that God communicated to people. God is predictably unpredictable when it comes to how it is that he wants to communicate to people. Sometimes it's in dreams. Sometimes it's in his just inner desires of people that God drives. Sometimes he speaks to us just through his creation And we see how magnificent and awe-inspiring he is. Sometimes it's those little promptings, that still, small voice. Sometimes it's visions that people have. Sometimes it's a talking donkey for crying out loud. God can speak however it is that he wants to speak. God is creative. But not only is he predictably unpredictable, I would say he is also predictably personal. You're his sheep. You know his voice. He knows how to help you hear his voice. God probably has a very unique and specific way he speaks to you. But he does it primarily through his scriptures. This is how the author of Hebrews describes how God uses the scripture in our life. Hebrews chapter four and verse 12 It says, for the word of God is alive and active. Not just words on a page. It's saying the word of God is alive and active. It is sharper than a double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. And here's what the author says. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. This book is 
alive. This is what we need to understand. We don't just read the Bible. What this is saying is the Bible reads us. And that's because of the second thing that has to be true of us if we're gonna learn to discern the will of God, the word of God, the voice of God. It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy, the Holy Spirit that led the authors to write what they wrote in this book is the same Holy Spirit that indwells the life of believers and helps you understand what it is that you're reading. It's the Holy Spirit that causes those words to jump off the page to you. We need the Holy Spirit. And if I were to just back up and look at this diagram, this learning circle that I taught you earlier, I would say this circle is a picture of what the Bible calls the spirit-filled life. The spirit-filled life, just simply allowing the spirit to be what directs and empowers our life. He does that for us. Here's how the Apostle Paul described the importance of this as it relates to the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians chapter five, one of the key teachings on the filling of the Holy Spirit, he says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. That word opportunity, you know what word that is? Kairos. Paul is saying, make the most of every speed bump that the Holy Spirit brings in your life, every nudge, every prompting, every impression. Don't let it go by. Repent and believe, hear and respond. Why? Because the days are evil. He says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. You see the contrast there? Paul's making between being filled with wine and being filled with the Spirit. Don't let the, the outside influence of alcohol be the thing that drives your thinking, drives your behavior, causing you to do things that you might not ordinarily do. He says, let that outside influence of the Spirit of God that is now living in you, let that be what drives your thinking, drives your behavior, causing you to do things that you might not normally do on your own. Kairos moments. Paul's saying, make the most of every opportunity because they are defining opportunities. And the last thing we need is a community. We need a community of people to help us learn to hear and respond to the voice of God in our life. Now, I'm not saying that the only way that you can do this is with a group of people. Sometimes God speaks to us all by ourselves. Sometimes it is a solo activity. But discerning the will of God in and around our lives is also a team sport. We need each other. That's why we need shepherds in and around our life that are maybe even better than us and have more experience of hearing and responding to the voice of God. And we get around them so that we can learn how they do it, see how God does it in their life, learn for ourselves. That's why we need shepherds. And that's why we are so committed around here to building circles of people so that we don't do this all alone. We don't do this as lone rangers. We do this together. That's why we're always gonna be about moving from rows to circles. Journey communities are opportunities for us to learn to do this together, 
This is what's gonna happen. This is what needs to happen in a journey community. Groups of people getting together, engaging around the scriptures, learning to read it for themselves, asking the question, God, what is it that you're saying to me? What is it that you want me to do? And that's what's gonna change our life in the context of a group. Doing that together. It's just two questions. It's just two questions but it has the potential and the power, I believe, to change your life. God, what is it that you're saying to me? God, what is it that you want me to do? Good shepherd, I want to be your sheep. His sheep are defined by those sheep that hear his voice and they follow him. They won't listen to the noise of this world because they've learned to tune out those frequencies. They hear the voice of their coach. They hear the voice of the good shepherd. They won't follow anything else because it's a stranger to them. They follow the voice of the good shepherd. Good shepherd, what is it that you want to say to me? What is it that you want me to do? Let's pray. Jesus, I'm just so aware in this moment how easy it is to say these things, but how difficult it is to build the rhythms into our life, to be able to make this a reality. God, I want to pray for me. I want to pray for my friends here in this room. I want to pray for my friends that are watching online. God, would you help us. Do what we need to do, God, to create a pace in our life, to be able to slow down so that we can hear your voice. God, we want to create space for you to speak. Show us how to drown out the other frequencies. God, we want to hear you. We don't want to miss it. We don't want to miss a Kairos moment. We want to follow you in every way. Jesus, you're our king. You are our good shepherd. We want to hear you and follow you and honor you. Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information, or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.